Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and I'm going to read from verses 6 to 10 and uh, this is what I feel is on on my heart today to share with you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and uh, he says this. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, somebody yell out with me, due season, in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to talk to you today about the power to continue. The power to continue. Uh, A few years ago, I um, decided that I was going to train and compete in the Melbourne Ironman Triathlon. And uh, for those of you who are not aware of that event, what it involves, basically, let me summarize it by saying it involves weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, But uh, what it involves is a 3.8 kilometer uh, open ocean swim, a 180 kilometer bike ride and a 42 kilometer marathon run. And uh, I trained for uh, 15 to 18 months for this and... uh, got to the the starting line, 2,000 competitors at the starting line, and we all jump in the water, Port Phillip Bay, and uh, I was just hoping that if the sharks came, that the odds were that I would not be eaten, and those on the fringes would be eaten, and uh, we got to the turnaround point of the swim, all 2,000 competitors all heading towards the same turnaround point, that's an interesting experience. Because by the time you get to the turnaround point, you're no longer swimming. You're, you're a penguin who's just sort of, you know, waddling there in the water and treading water. And uh, people are swimming over you and it's a crazy experience. And then you turn, the, turn around the boy, the turning mark, and then you start to swim again. Well, we got through that. That was good. I, once I got through that, I remember running past my wife and my family just like, yay, I've done it, forgetting there's 180k to go and a 42-kilometer marathon to run. Uh, but I survived the shark. So we get to the bike and then we finish the bike and several hours later, and then we get to the run. Now, uh, by that stage, you're like, okay, we're nearly there. Only the run to go, but there's 42 kilometers of the run to go. This isn't just like a little hundred meter sprint. And so everything was going well until the 25 kilometer mark of the marathon. And all of a sudden it felt like a grizzly bear had jumped on my back and, and everything slowed down. I think it was like from a four uh, minute 30 pace to a seven minute per kilometer pace. So now we're crawling and now we're starting to make deals with God. God, I will go to deepest, darkest Africa. 
And I will preach to the natives. I will go to the 1040 window in northern India and preach and even be persecuted. I will do anything. Just get me to the finish line in Jesus' name. I started to uh, repent of sin I hadn't even committed yet. Because that's what taking prophetic ministry to the next level does to you, right? I started to do all manner of things just to get to the finish line. And, I, and for 15 kilometers, it was like hell on earth. And the last 2K, I could hear the sound of the music at the finish line. And I got my second win. And we were able to get to the end of that race. But, you know, the Bible uses the imagery of an athletic contest to talk to us about the race of faith. All throughout the scriptures, uh, particularly in the New Testament, particularly the Apostle Paul, he uses these, this idea of uh, uh, disciplining the body and uh, athletes who compete, all these different athletic metaphors to help us understand how God wants us to approach the race of faith. And Whoever you are, every one of us at some point in life will feel like we have hit the wall. Marathon runners talk about that experience uh, that I had in that marathon as hitting the wall. Like there is a, an insurmountable wall that you cannot get over. And no matter who you are, every single one of us at some point will experience something. The doctor's report will come in or there'll be an issue in our relationship or something will happen in our finances. We'll, we'll be confused about future direction. At some point, all of us hit the wall. And if you haven't hit the wall yet, don't worry, it's coming, okay? That's not a prophetic word. That's to be in alignment with the words of Jesus. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, right? But take heart, I have overcome the world. We're going to experience tribulation. We're going to experience uh, uh, challenges and, and paradoxes and contradictions. The issue isn't whether or not you hit the wall. The issue is, how are you going to respond? When you hit the wall in your life and how you respond reveals the substance of your faith for what it is. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. There is a substance to our faith. And Psalm 24.10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. God has given us such a faith, this thing called faith. We need to preach more about faith. We need to listen to more about faith because the doctrine of faith is one of the most important doctrines in the word of God that, that the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Abraham was the father of the faith. This thing started in faith and it will end in faith. 1 John tells us, what is the victory that has overcome the world? Our faith. We've got to have a revelation of the significance of faith in Christ. Well, one of the life skills that we need to develop in the kingdom of God is persistent faith. It's the power to continue. Persistence, actually, that's what it means. The power to continue a course of action in spite of difficulty and opposition. And I don't know about you, but quitting has become an epidemic in our culture. We quit relationships, we quit churches, we quit study, we quit work, we quit callings, we quit uh, relationship with God. Quitting has become 
an epidemic in our culture. And I tell people, if you are tired of starting over, stop quitting. This is really deep, profound revelation today. If you're tired of starting over, have you ever felt like, you know, you're just starting over all over again, you're starting again, you start, just, just the way to avoid that is stop quitting. Now, how many of us know that um, in life, uh, we can move on from certain things, but when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your covenant in your marriage, when it comes to uh, the call of God upon your life, there is no such thing as retirement. You never retire from the call of God. You can't walk away from the call of God. You can't walk away from the kingdom of God. Your career may change. Your job may change. How you express that calling. But I'm here to tell someone today, we are to persist in our calling and in the kingdom of God. In what God has called us to. In what God has put upon our lives. And the truth is, we will only persist to the depth of the substance of our faith. Faith has a substance. Faith uh, is the substance of things hoped for. And the substance of our faith must be tested for its purity. We will not know what the substance of your faith is until it's tested. You can say all you want. I, I, I just live by faith in my finances. But until you face a test... That challenges whether or not you live by faith in your finances. You can have all the rhetoric and all the talk you want. But then when you go itinerant and you have to live by faith, then we'll work out whether or not you really live by faith. You can say that you, you, you live by faith in your ministry. But when God asks you to plant a church with 13 people, an amazing church called Activate in a lounge room. And there's no guarantee of anything. There's no great buildings, there's nothing. You know, your faith isn't revealed for what it is until you face resistance. And some of us, frankly, are shocked when problems and contradictions and paradoxes come our way. We're we're almost like, well, God, I've had devotions once this week. And like, I gave into the offering. I deserve a Norm Smith medal. I mean, I gave into the offering. And I, I, I was even nice to someone this week. I bought a coffee for my workmate. I helped an elderly person across the road. I grow nice flowers that don't work in Melbourne. I, 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 I do all sorts of nice things for people. God, I have performed for you this week spiritually. So you are obligated to keep me from problems, trials and tribulations. And when we operate that way, we're operating out of a law consciousness. We're not operating from a place of grace. We're operating out of a place of, uh, well, I did this, God, so you must do this. That's not how the kingdom works. 1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, the text says. Now, can we all just be honest? Rejoicing in a trial is not the default response of the human condition. 
I mean, there's no one here is just sort of suffering for Jesus and just rejoicing with a big smile on their face. And this is just so amazingly wonderful. Now, if, if that is you, 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 we probably need to cast out a demon out of you and we need to pray for you. And, and, but you know what? As much as I'm joking about that, actually, when you walk with God and when you start to develop this life skill of persistent faith in the kingdom of God, your default response can be rejoicing in the midst of contradictions. It's all about a perspective shift. How can you choose or how can your default become one of rejoicing when you meet a trial and when you meet a tribulation? Well, it's all about how you view the trial and tribulation. Anyone seen the movie Jerry Maguire, right? A few years ago, that movie was made starring Tom Cruise. And if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, basically what happens, Tom Cruise is a sports agent working for a big company and he gets a revelation of how to do business better, how to serve the client better. And so he writes this document. He gets asked to uh, leave his job because that's not in alignment with the policy and philosophy of the company. And so he leaves. He gets inspired. Another lady, another administrator, she gets inspired. She leaves with him. They fall in love. They get married and then they go on their journey. They face some challenges. They face some trials, both in their relationship and in the new business that they've started. And at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise and his wife have uh, gone through some stuff. They've been separated for a little bit. He's just come back from a business trip that's gone quite well, but he walks back into his lounge room. Do you remember the scene? Those of you who've seen it, all the ladies remember this scene. He walks back into the lounge room and his wife has all of her friends there counseling her, telling her what a terrible sod he is and, and telling her what she should do. And Tom Cruise walks back in, sucks all of the oxygen out of the room, and Tom Cruise looks at his wife in front of all of her friends and says, you complete me. Now, right there in that moment, this is what happens in the cinema. All the women faint because they want Tom to be like with them, right? They want Tom to complete them. And and then all the fellas want to put a finger in their mouth and throw up because from that point on, Tom Cruise has made it impossible for every husband, every man on this planet, that every woman is wanting their partner to say, you complete me. And we just can't measure up to that. And and so I want to encourage you the next time that you face a trial or a tribulation in your life, look at it and say, you complete me. You say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the Bible says exactly that. James 1, 2, and 4. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, here it is, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Your faith will never be complete without resistance. Your faith will never be complete without trials and tribulations because your faith is like a muscle. It only strengthens and grows through resistance. You see, without the trial, we never have the testimony. Without the test, without the problem, without the resistance, our faith doesn't grow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but we don't know that where your faith is really at until you have to face a giant in your life. And it's Not the visible that we have to persist in, it's the invisible 
This is the context of what Paul is saying when he's writing to the church in Galatia. In verse 8, he says, the one who sows to the flesh. What's the flesh? That's the visible. The one who sows to the visible or the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, the invisible, will reap what? Eternal life. Everything in the kingdom is about producing the fruit of eternal life in you. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. Life in all of its fullness. The enemy comes to rob, steal, kill and destroy. It's not the visible that you've got to persist in. Why? You can see the visible. It's the invisible. It's what you can't see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk according to the visible. We walk according to the invisible. That's why faith is required. What are we putting our faith in? We're putting our faith in God's rhema, invisible word. God's inspired word. There's logos. There's the line upon line, precept upon precept word. But then there's the rhema. There's the inspired word of God. And when we get that inspired word of God, we may not see the fruit of that in our reality, but we persist in faith and we hold on to that word Man shall not live by bread alone, the visible, but by every word, the invisible, that proceeds from the mouth of God. We, we do not live according to what we see, we live according to what we believe. We believe first, then we see. The culture sees first, then believes. Not in the kingdom of God, it's the other way around. Faith is the conviction of things, what? Not seen. I've got a conviction. I've got an assurance. I can't necessarily see it, but I believe it. That's what faith is. There's a substance and there's a conviction. And that's why Paul says in this passage, don't grow weary in doing good. What is he meaning? He says, don't grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. Don't grow weary in sowing into the invisible realm. Do you know Satan's weapon of mass destruction to the church, to the believer, is a weariness that comes with a lack of fruit from our sowing. When when you don't see reward for your effort, is anyone with me today knows what I'm talking about? You give and you give and you give and you don't see the reward for your giving. You, you, you witness and you witness and you witness to unsaved family and friends and they don't respond to your invitation to come to church. You pray and you pray and you pray and you don't see the answer. You, 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 um, you know, prepare messages if you're, if you're in the ministry and you give your best, but you don't necessarily see the outcomes in people's lives. And what happens is the enemy can bring a weariness into our spirit because we're seeing a lack of fruit in our external realm. It's right there in that moment that you've got to not grow weary in doing good. Not grow weary in sowing into the invisible realm. How do you not grow weary? It's not enough just to say that because lots of preachers can say that. How do you not grow weary in doing good? Well, in the Hawaiian man, there's a beautiful uh, picture um, uh, of, of what I think God wants from us and what God is wanting to help us with so that we don't grow weary. Um, there's a father and son team called Team Hoyt in the Hawaiian Ironman. And you can 
uh, look this up on YouTube, but not while I'm preaching because Jesus sees. And, and, um, you, you, and you can look at this later, research this later. But Team Hoyt is the story of a son who has cerebral palsy, disabled son. And this young man <clears throat> said to his dad when his dad was 65 years of age, Dad, I want to compete in the Hawaii Ironman. And I want to finish it. And his dad tried to talk him out of it. Son, you, you just you can't do that. And he's like, no, but I want to do it. Find a way. I want to do this thing. So his father, at 65 years of age, started training. And one of the most moving images you'll ever see is seeing them arrive at that Hawaiian Ironman and the father, with a rope attached around him, dragging his cerebral palsy son in a sort of small rubber dinghy thing, and he's swimming in the the ocean, dragging his son along. He gets to the shore, he picks up his son, carries him to another contraption connected to his bike, straps him in, puts the helmet, rides 180 kilometers carrying his son, comes back to the transition area, picks up his son, puts him in another contraption, and then pushes him and runs, pushing his son for 42 kilometers in the marathon, gets to the finishing line, and there is not a dry eye along that road. Everyone's screaming, cheering, clapping. And as I'm looking at this image, I said, that's exactly what our Heavenly Father has done for every single person in this room. When we were disabled in our spirit and we could not get ourselves across the finish line what did the father do he sent his one and only son Jesus Christ to die upon a cross stretch out his arms upon a cross and do for us what we could not do for ourselves even while we were still sinners Christ died for us Even while we were disabled in our spirit and lost in our sin, full of uh, failures and mistakes and issues, Christ bridged the gap, did the heavy lifting, lifted us from darkness into light, lifted us from a place of eternal death into a place of eternal life. That's exactly what the Heavenly Father has done for you and I. How do you not grow weary in doing good? You look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the father just as that father and son yoked themselves to each other we've got to yoke ourselves to the presence of God how you, there is no you can't will yourself I've tried willpower I've tried self-talk I've tried everything there's nothing that will sustain you other than the presence of God We've got to run to his presence. Even youths grow tired and weary, Isaiah 40, 31 says. And young men stumble and fall, but they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You can find a place in God where when weariness attacks you, you can find the strength and energy in your spirit to continue. It's found by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. And why is it that you mustn't grow weary in doing good? Paul answers us. It's because God's got a due season for every single one of us in this room. He said, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due 
season. You'll reap. Now, a lot of people ask, well, when is my due season? When's due season? I have a word of the Lord for you. Due season is when your season is due. This is very profound this morning. This is very prophetic. Due season is when your season is due. How many of us know when Peter came to Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What did Jesus say? He says, it's none of your business to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, stop worrying about the outcome. Just get involved in the process. We want to know when our due season is. What God does, we want the entire blueprint. God, give us the blueprint so I can be in control and I can navigate this thing. No, no, no. What God does is he comes and says, my word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. I will give you enough revelation to take one more step. I'll give you enough light to take one more step. And then one, because God is not just committed in sort of, you know, being the, the, the genie in the bottle, you give him three wishes, he grants all of those, answers all of your prayers, all of your miracles, gives you all of your miracles and does all of that, but that we do not have a relationship. No, we, God is committed to a relationship with us where each step of everyday life, we're trusting in him. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. He's saying today is sufficient for its own trouble. In other words, just get get focused on today and tomorrow will take care of itself. This is so important. You know, I remember when um, 2009 here at Activate, I I went through a tough time. Some of you have heard me talk about this. To cut a long story short, basically 18 months, lots of questions, uh, I was a bit disillusioned in, in my own journey. And, uh, and I remember, God, what, what's going on? What, what's happening here? Um, so much had been accomplished, but like there was still a vision in my heart that was still yet to, to happen. And I wanted everything now. And it's just youthful impetuosity. And, and, and I'm like, God, what's going on? And, and God says, stop worrying about the outcome, son. Just get involved in the process. Let me take care of the outcome. In other words, some of us are suffering from destination disease. We think when I marry that person, that's when life will start. When I get that job, that's when life will start. When I get that platform, that's when life will start. When I get that amount of money in my bank account, that's when life will start. Meanwhile, we miss the beauty of the journey. And have you discovered as you get older, you never arrive? It's like you get to where you think you want to be, and then you go, oh, is this all that is? Right, And you realize the destination is eternal life. The promised land is eternal life. The promised land called Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, is in fact Jesus Christ. It's not when your vision is fulfilled. This church has got an incredible destiny on it. It's going to grow and multiply and spread to the left and the right. God's got amazing things. And we've all... Uh, uh, Pastor Ben and Sarah and myself and others have spoken into that. It's all going to happen. But even when you get there, you'll get there. There'll still be another mountain to climb. 
there'll still be another path. And, and, and so we've got to get, get, ask God to, uh, you know, rid us or deliver us from this destination mindset and to actually trust him in the process and just start sowing to the spirit now. You cannot reap today what you haven't sown yesterday. Our generation wants to reap something we haven't even sown for. It's madness. We, we want to reap the house and reap the career and reap the relationship and reap a walk with God and reap the church we haven't even sown for. The best time to sow was yesterday. If you haven't sown yesterday for what you're believing for today, then don't be mad at God that you aren't reaping what you didn't sow for yesterday. The second best time to sow is today. Don't live your life in regret of what you haven't sown. Just start today. Just start today. Because what you're sowing today into your life, you will reap tomorrow. It's a principle. It's a law of sowing and reaping. And Paul says, don't grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. In sowing into the invisible realm. Sowing is not just what you do financially. It's the attitude you choose. It's the relationships you build. It's how you approach your ministry. It's how you approach your job. It's how you live your life. It's how you steward your finances. Everything you are sowing, I can tell you where you're going to be in years to come based upon what you're doing now. If you don't like where you are right now, it's time to change what you're sowing. Often what we do is we go, you know what, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Okay, that's good that you can see that and acknowledge that. But what are you doing today to change your tomorrow? If you don't like the external reality of what you're facing in your life, then it's time to get some new information into your mind, into your spirit. I know I'm not getting many amens on this one, on this point. Because it's challenging to all of us. Because often what, what has happened is in our culture, and right now in our culture, is victimhood has become popular. And, and so we feel like if in any way we've been oppressed, then we are a victim and we're going to jump up and down about that and get lots of tension about that and we deserve to be in an outrage about that. And, and, and so victimhood has become sort of popular approach to life. But let me tell you something. The Bible does not tell us that we are victims. The Bible tells us that we are victorious through Jesus Christ. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That is not a false triumphalism. That is a biblical reality. You've got to start to see your life as God sees you. You've got to start to think as God thinks so that our ways become like God. God's ways. It comes back to what are you sowing into your life today? God's got a due season for you. God says, sow first and let me take care of the harvest. What we want to do is we want to take care of the harvest and we want God to do the sowing. No, no. Sow first, God takes care of the harvest. But here's the deal. Reaping a harvest is conditional Upon one thing. Interesting what that verse says. Don't grow weary in doing good. 
For in due season, you will reap, here it is, if, everybody say if. If is a conditional word. If. All of this is conditional upon not losing heart. Upon not giving up. If you don't lose heart. How many of us know anyone can start well in life? You know, I'll be honest, I've been in ministry, been in ministry nearly 20 years and it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that long. It's like a blink of an eye. But you know, even those who I started with 20 years ago, many of them are nowhere to be seen now. And my thing is in life, if you just hang around and keep a good spirit, a sweet heart, don't let a people's offenses and stuff get on you. You may make some mistakes, but you just keep your eyes on Jesus. And you just persist. You'll clean up in life. I'm telling you, you'll clean up if you just hang around because the second mile is not crowded. I'm believing for a great second half, baby. I turn 40 next year and I tell you, I'm just, I'm like, okay, I've learned a few things. I don't know it all yet. I'm never going to know it all. But Lord, I thank you. The second half is going to be so much stronger in Jesus' name. But you've got to have some grit in you. You've got to get some holy grit in you. You've got to stop making excuses for yourself. It's like I find myself every now and then making excuses. And when you start to make too many excuses, you start to compromise. And what you've got to do is every now and then you've got to slap the weasel within. You've got to slap that complainer in you, slap that victim in you, and say, come on, no, 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 Jesus did not die in vain. You've got the gift of the Holy Spirit. We sang it before. We've got a helper. We've got a friend. We've got a wonderful counselor. And his therapy is free. You don't even have to pay for it. There's always, there's counsel 24-7, 365 days a year. He always listens to you. You don't have to call up the pastor and wait for an appointment. He's always there. Anyone can start well in life. It was interesting at the start of the Ironman triathlon, everyone was happy. It was so funny. Everyone was slapping each other on the back and, you know, like, oh, this is going to be an awesome day and you, you're going to do great. And, and, and everyone's excited and everyone's chipper and chirpy. And, but at the 25-kilometer mark of the marathon, when you've hit the wall, no one's smiling. No one's there going, oh, you're doing awesome. No, they're like, oh, God, help him. Uh, you know, it's like... There's no one super excited in that moment, but it's in that moment that we find out what's really in here. How convicted you are of that. I remember watching my kids uh, run a cross-country race at school. And, you know, they had to run three or four kilometers. But it was so interesting to see all of these hundreds of kids line up at the starting line, and they started that race like it was a 100-meter sprint at the Olympics. And they've just belted out of the gates and they're running after 100 meters. Some kids have collapsed. Other kids have just like crawling. Other kids are just walking, sucking their thumb. You know, uh, other kids are picking their nose. And then other kids, you know, they're, they're sweat and everything's going everywhere. And I'm looking at this and it was quite humorous. But the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, son, immaturity travels at an unsustainable pace.
And you've got to understand that this life, this race of faith that we are called to is actually a, a long haul game. If you are not going to grow weary in doing good, but seize your due season based upon what you've sown today and what you've sown in the past, you're believing you're going to reap in the future, you've got to travel at a sustainable pace. And I've learned life isn't actually a marathon. We love that metaphor, but life isn't a marathon. Life is a series of sprints broken up with a series of rests. Because even the creation cycle, Genesis 1 to 3, tells us six days work, one day Sabbath. You focus, you work hard, you do what you need to do, but then you rest. How many of us know in life there are certain seasons where it's incredibly busy, incredibly demanding. The issues in life become when you just add busy to busy to busy to busy to busy to busy and you don't rest. Sabbath is a principle every single one of us have to employ in our lives. There's busy, there's a sprint, but then there's a rest. I would encourage you to set a sustainable pace in life and you will reach the finish line. Why? Because you won't lose heart. Busyness has a way of destroying your soul, destroying courage in you. And I'm praying today that you will, through this word, receive and imbibe of the spirit of the courage to continue. Anyone can quit in life. Anyone. And people do it all the time. And if you've quitted, quit something that you know you shouldn't have, there's no condemnation. Pick yourself back up. Get your eyes back on Jesus and continue. Life, life is not over. Life is not done. Get your eyes back on Jesus and continue. Let me share with you a final story. One of the most um, inspiring true stories I ever heard about this was by a guy by the name of John Aquari. John Aquari uh, was a runner from Tanzania in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. He was one of the favorites to win the marathon. And it gets to the day of the marathon, 10 kilometers into the marathon. He's in the lead pack. There's some argy-bargy, pushing and shoving. Anyway, he falls over, hits the curb, and, and splits open his knee, hurts his elbow, gets up to run, and can't run properly. He's hobbling. All the other lead runners run past him. All the camera crew go past him. And if you are viewing that, and you can also look at this online after my message, because Jesus is watching, um, you, 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 you presume or you can see that this guy, he's done, right? He, he's not running anymore with this lead pack. An hour after all the other runners complete the marathon. It's getting on dusk in the Olympic Stadium. People have left the stadium. A few hundred people are left in the stadium. And a uh, lone motorbike with a light on sort of rides into the Olympic Stadium to do the final lap. And who is running behind the motorbike is John Aquari. He kept running. He gets to the final lap and he's hobbling around the track. People realize what's happening. There's another runner. They come down the finish line. They start to cheer and clap as John Aquari was rounding that final lap. As he crosses the finish line, a reporter runs up to him and says, John, why did you keep on running? You were injured. No one expected this of you. Why did you? He said, my country did not send me to Mexico to start the race. My country sent me to Mexico to finish the race. 
And I'm here to tell someone in this room today, God did not call you, He did not gift you, and He did not create you for you to simply start the race of faith. He anointed you, He gifted you, He called you, He had a destiny in mind so that you would run across that finish line. What did the Apostle Paul say? I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That is to be the testimony. That is to be the legacy of every single one of us in this room, of this church, of your ministry, of your family. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is therefore a crown of righteousness awaiting me. That's what God has called us to. And I want to invite you to stand with me today. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.